when, when Katie was asking, what is with that title, uh, I, I said, don't, do you ever watch Looney Tunes? So I was hoping some other people had watched Looney Tunes. We've talked about how some of the themes in Chronicles that get repeated over and over and over is about worship and faithfulness. And certainly this morning, these two aspects uh, we see in this story. But what is faithfulness? What does it mean to walk faithfully with God? I think faithfulness is uh, living in tune with how God wants us to live. It's, it's living um, in step with God. And certainly this morning we're going to see a little bit of what faithfulness looks like. In Second Chronicles 10, through 21, which were our chapters that we were reading through this week, we see some common threads that keep uh, coming up time and time again. That God's people get into this hard spot, they get into trouble, they get themselves into trouble, or a foe comes against them, and suddenly they remember that God is there, and they go to pray to God. Uh, Rehoboam, has a mixed results of being faithful or unfaithful. In 2 Chronicles 12, uh, the people come and they confess their unfaithfulness in face of these enemy kings that have come against Jerusalem, and God saves them. It's interesting to me, though, that even as God comes and saves them, there are still consequences for their unfaithfulness. God doesn't just say, all right, you're off scot-free. There's still consequences for them turning away from God. There's a story of Abijah who goes to war against Jeroboam of Israel. And he cries out to God asking for God to come and intervene in this situation. And God fights for his people. King Asa seeks God's help as this Ethiopian army comes against him in 2 Chronicles 14. We talked last week about how the person that writes Chronicles, the, the chronicler, has kind of a unique perspective on peace and war in his book. And over and over again throughout these chapters, we see that God is fighting on behalf of his people. We hear phrases like, the Lord defeated, God defeated, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is not yours, but it is God's. God wins victory on behalf of the people. God comes to the rescue. There's no great military heroes in Chronicles. It's all God. God coming to the rescue of His people when they are in dire situations and they cry out to God. Second Chronicles 15 Verses 1 to 2 says this, the spirit of, the God, spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you abandon him, he will abandon you. And this is a theme that kind of keeps replaying over and over and over in Chronicles. That the people turn away from God. And, and my interpretation of this is not that God just says, fine, I'm leaving. 
but rather that God acknowledges that they don't want anything to do with him right now. And so God, who never forces himself on anyone, says, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm going to take my hands off. You want to do this on your own? You don't want to do anything with me? You want to trust other powers? You want to pray to other gods? You want to make all these alliances with other nations? Fine. I'm just going to step back and let what happens, happens. God doesn't force himself on us. And yet what's interesting to me is that even though God has said, I'm fine, I'll step back. The moment his people get in trouble and they come crying out for God, God says, okay, I'm here. I've been close at hand the whole time. God doesn't force himself on us, and yet when we cry out to him, he's right there, ready to come to the rescue. You know, I often think that we only want to come to God when we need him most. Situations get hard. We face tough circumstances at work or with our family or in the church or other places, and now suddenly we want to cry out to God. And you know what the wonderful thing is that we see displayed here in Chronicles is that God comes. God hears his people crying, and he comes to their rescue. God is right there. What kind of relationship is that really? When we just want to do things on our own until we get in a bad place and now we want to cry out to God. If you think some of, many of you are, are married, um, when I pledged myself to, to Katie, my wife, we said we are there for better or for worse. And I think what would my relationship be like with Katie if I only turned to her when things got hard. We've been through some hard times of uh, grandparents passing away. Um, a couple years ago, we had a close high school friend that we were in youth group killed in a car accident. Um, other hard situations that we've been through together. And it's so wonderful to have someone to share those experiences, th those hard times to come, and, and it draws us closer with one another. But if our relationship was only built on the struggles and the crisis, and we never got to experience the highs of life together, I wonder what kind of relationship that would be. See, faithfulness, I think, involves walking with God when things are good and when things are bad. God intends us to live in relationship with Him all the time. And yet, even in those hard times, God is waiting to come back to His people. One of the most quoted verses in Chronicles, and in First or Second Chronicles, in probably most of you have heard this scripture, and maybe if you think of Chronicles, this might be the one verse that comes to mind. It's 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's this opportunity for us to come 
in humble confession, seeking God. And we see this modeled over and over again in the book of Chronicles. And yet the most faithful kings of Judah receive God's blessing beyond just being rescued. They're walking with God consistently. See, I think faithfulness with God, walking with God, is more than just being saved and rescued. Walking with God is more than just escaping from hell. That's part of it. Sure, being saved from, from judgment and, 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 and life without God, that's certainly part of it. But faithfulness is about walking with God and experiencing the good eternal life that begins now in Christ. And that may not come in material blessings. Some of the most faithful people in Scripture are persecuted as they're out of step with the world around them. If you're we're reading this week, there's this prophet, Micaiah, who, who comes up, who is like the one guy that's not telling uh, King Ahab what he wants to hear. He's like the one person that's not just the puppet prophet of the king, and he's in jail. And uh, Jehoshaphat at one point says, don't you have anyone that's like going to speak truth to you? Do you have anyone that's not just an, an echo chamber uh, uh, that you want to hear? And Ahab says, well, I, I have this one guy. I locked him up. <laughs> we can listen to what he says. And so they come, and before he gets there, he's told, now, just, just go along with the program. Just tell the king what he wants to hear. And the prophet says, ah, I'll speak truth. And he comes and he tells them that, you know, this little expedition here is, is doomed to destruction. And Ahab throws him back in jail, gives him uh, a reduced ration of water and bread. God wants relationship with us through the good and the bad, for better or for worse. God wants to be with us. And so we come to this story of Jehoshaphat. He walks in the ways of his father. That's what the, the scripture says. He tore down the high places of idol worship. He sends out teachers to the people with uh, the law of the Lord. He wants them to learn about what faithfulness looks like. He has this heart for, for God. He has this heart for the people learning to, to walk faithfully with God. And yet, in chapter 18, Jehoshaphat goes and he makes this alliance with Ahab of Israel. And they want to go to war, but first they want to hear from the prophets. And this is where they bring Micaiah in. Sometimes, like Ahab, surrounding himself with prophets that are just saying the good things he wants to hear. Sometimes we surround ourselves with an echo chamber. We surround ourselves with people that repeat and, and say the same things that we want to hear and the same things that we believe. We do this when we turn on one source of news and we hear one perspective. Or we get on social media and, and we start commenting with everybody else and, and we just surround ourselves with 
the same voice, rather than listening to others' perspectives, rather than listening to other people's input, and we, we victimize people that don't have the same perspective that we do. We demonize them. We have to be careful about surrounding ourselves with people who just say the thing that we want to hear. So Israel and Judah go to war against Aram. Ahab tries to disguise himself, uh, seems to leave Jehoshaphat uh, out to dry. He says, I'm going to get disguised, you stay dressed as the king. Why Jehoshaphat goes along with that, I'm not really sure, um, but this is what happens. And they go to this battle, and as the true prophet has prophesied, destruction starts facing this alliance of Israel and Judah. And despite the fact that Ahab is disguised as an ordinary true soldier, he's shot and killed. Jehoshaphat is forced to come back to Jerusalem and to learn a hard lesson about faithfulness. See, he's heard the prophet say, this is doomed to destruction. And yet he chose to go ahead with Ahab. He chose to do things on his own. He chose to trust his own strength instead of trusting what God had planned for them. And so as Jehoshaphat returns to Jerusalem, he uh, learns a lesson. He starts to reform his kingdom. He wants it to be a place where God is worshipped. He wants it to be a place where there is justice. He appoints judges to, to hear the people, to judge justly, to walk with God. And it's here where a multitude of enemies comes against Jerusalem in chapter 20. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites. Jeff, you did a great job reading this morning. I've tried to avoid these names throughout Chronicles, but sometimes they're just there and you've got to read them. So great job this morning. This great multitude comes against Judah. And Jehoshaphat calls the assembly of the people, and he begins to plead with God. Jehoshaphat lays out the scenario before God. He says, here's what's happening. You've made these promises. You've, you've given us this land, and now there's this multitude of people coming against us. Verse 12 then says, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. And I love this next sentence. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're facing this multitude. We're facing this problem. God, we don't know how to get out of this. He comes honestly and humbly seeking God. We don't know how we're going to get out of this. We don't know how we're going to deal with this foe. We don't know how to get out of this tough situation. Think about my own life. I don't know what to do about this friend who's struggling with depression. We don't know how to get out of 
the stress of this financial situation that we're dealing with. We don't know how we're going to fix our marriage. We don't know what we're going to do. But our eyes are on you. It's interesting to me that worship in Chronicles is often this celebration. It's often loud and, and just filled with joy as the Ark of the Covenant is brought to the temple. They're, they're celebrating and David's dancing. The, the temple is dedicated and there's more celebration. It's loud and boisterous and, and that's wonderful. But worship here has a different tone. Confessional. It's filled with humility. It's people facing a really hard situation. And you know what? I believe that day they don't feel like being loud and joyful. There's times in worship where we just come and we say, God, I'm facing a mess. God, I'm facing some really hard situations. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you. It's humbly seeking God. It's being honest about the mess that we're in. It's asking God to come and intervene. We don't always feel like being joyful and, and celebrating. And sometimes we just come and bring all that we are in the situations before God and say, God, here it is. I'm asking you to work. I'm asking you to step in. Jehaziel then speaks up in the middle of this crowd in 2 Chronicles 20. And he says, do not fear. God's got this. The Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat isn't given a battle plan. He's asked to trust God. There's a number of people in Scripture that are given a very specific plan of attack. Uh, Joshua is told how to march around the city and when to attack. Um, Gideon, his army is reduced. He's given this, this plan of surrounding the enemy and, and this plan of attack. And, and honestly, I like when I'm given the details by God. I'd love to, to know exactly how God is going to work in a situation. I don't always get those details. I don't always know exactly how God's going to work in a situation. And here Jehoshaphat doesn't get the details of the battle plan. In fact, the battle plan he draws up, you know, if you're a military person, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. We're going to send out the musicians and the worshipers ahead of the army. I mean, I can do a number on someone with my guitar, but, you know, I got kind of like one swing and that's about it. sends out the worshipers first, worshiping and praying, trusting and seeking God in the middle of this hard situation. Because they trust God, because they worship God, God fights the battle for the people of Judah. The army of Judah shows up and, and they're looking out over the battlefield and the battle's already been fought. They've missed out. 
God's caused these enemies coming against them to have some kind of conflict or something. We're not really given a lot of the details. They've turned on each other. They've fought each other and they've killed one another. It's maybe a lesson for us. You can't achieve something together if you start attacking the people that are on your side. You can't achieve anything if you're attacking the people that are on your side. Now, here it saves the people of Judah. And they collect all the the spoils of war. And now they come and they worship again. And I imagine now it's far more joyful, far more uh, celebratory. They're happy. They've been saved. They've been rescued by God. And it's wonderful that they follow up this victory. It's not really their victory with worship. There's an opportunity here that they could claim victory, that they could forget what God has just done, but they don't. They come and they worship again. When things are bad, when things are good, they are turning and they are seeking God together. And God gives Jehoshaphat and Judah quiet and rest. That's the the evaluation that the chronicler gives of Jehoshaphat's faithfulness. Faithfulness involves seeking God when things are good and when things are bad, when things are going well and when things look like a mess. Faithfulness is turning to God and walking in step with God through the good, through the bad, for better, for worse. When we find ourselves in a mess, facing multitudes, God is still there. God has not abandoned you. There are times in the Bible where people uh, are given those specific orders, and there are times where we are just asked to trust God. There's other times when God says, I need you to move forward and I need you to trust that I'm there. I need you to trust that I'm going to fight this battle for you. Move forward in prayer and worship. There's some great lessons for us to be learning from Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. He is a model of what it means to walk faithfully with God He doesn't always get it right. He screws up the same as anyone else. But he comes in confession and humility back to God, trusting that God has a plan for him and for his people. As we close this morning, we're going to be singing a favorite hymn of mine. Uh, It's in your blue hymnal number four. 555. It's, I need thee every hour. I don't know what kind of situations you're all dealing with, whether they're health concerns, whether they're uh, family stress, financial stress. We all face different kinds of multitudes coming against us. And it's an opportunity for us to say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you. I trust 
that you are at work even in the middle of this situation. So I need you now, and I need you tomorrow. I need you every hour. Would you stand as we close in singing?